there. You've tuned to Crikey Calling. Jason Whitaker, editor of Crikey, joined this week, as usual, by Bernard Keane, our Canberra correspondent. Hello, Bernard. Hello there. I can't believe it's only halfway. No, I certainly can't either. Time flies when you're not really having very much fun. Do you think anyone's enjoying it? I'm, I'm not sure anyone is. Maybe the maybe the media that's obviously benefiting from all this extra revenue. Um, well. Yeah. Well, but it, it, it's it's also costing the media a lot of money too, and I can, I can speak uh, from our perspective alone. It's uh, it's not cheap to uh, go on these campaigns, but uh, we do them in the spirit of democracy, in in the interests of the people. Um, and you have been doing a bit yourself this week. You've been out on the road. In fact, you're just back from Albury, uh, where you visited the local Liberal candidate there, Bernard. What are the people saying? Tell us what the people are saying. Well, down down that way, water's a big issue. Um, Murray Darling, this is the sort of neck of the woods where they were burning the Murray Darling Basin plan um, last year. So water's still a vexed issue, but it's not, it's lost its, they're no longer burning plans in the streets, put it that way. It's a, uh, it's, a it's an issue that seems to have been reasonably resolved, um, but there's still lots of criticism of uh, those bureaucrats in Canberra. And, um, and because it's been raining a lot lately and there's a lot of concern about, um, about the issue of, um, of uh, you know what they're going to do with all the water, so so it's um you know a little bit little bit different to the kind of environment in which the Murray Darling Basin plan or the, was was really created, which was all about uh, water scarcity and um, allocating a um, a precious resource. So that issue is still bubbling along, um, but they're also seem to be very worried about um, about Chinese investment. That's got them that's got them rattled. Um, so it's, it's a little bit confusing because you you see these people, these these business people, for example, talking about the need to kind of lift economic activity in the, in, in the region, and then complaining about well, some of them complaining about um, about foreign investment. Uh, it's, it's a little bit sort of mutually contradictory sort of positions, but um, uh, but I guess. Uh, uh, I guess until you're really sort of desperate for investment from outside, as some communities are down that way, uh, you don't sort of fully appreciate the benefits of someone who's willing to invest no matter what um, what country they come from. In- indeed. Uh, back to the national picture, let me put a thesis to you. Let me, let me suggest that uh, we're talking up this election because the media has to talk it up because we have to try and keep everyone interested for the next two weeks. Let, it be, let me put it to you, Bernard, that not only is this election over, but it was over about 12 months ago that the leader, uh, uh, new leader enjoyed somewhat of a honeymoon. But what we're going to do is do what the people wanted to do two years ago, and that is tip out this government. And, and every poll would suggest that. Is this a, is, is this a dead race now? Oh, I don't think so at all. I think it's um, it's still anyone's it's anyone's race. Uh, I don't think um, you you you'll struggle to find a poll to to tell you that's true, Bernard. Well, a news poll certainly has uh, has uh, the, the coalition widening it quite quite significantly. But I've got to really say some of the some of the news poll numbers are really don't look at all uh, meaningful. I mean, there was. Uh, um, the, the poll this week had Labor on, I think, 35%. That's very, very low. And then their state breakdowns this morning had the Greens on 17% in Victoria. I mean, I'll run naked around um, <laughs> not just the crikey office, but the crikey building if the Greens get 17% in you Victoria. Know, you know we've committed that to tape now. You can't yeah, no, that's fine. That. I'm, happy to, I'm happy to fulfill that commitment because I, I, can, I can make that commitment knowing that it's, there's no way on 
gods, particularly green earth, that the uh, the uh, the greens will reach seventeen percent. It does. Uh, it does seem particularly. Un- it does seem particularly unlikely. All right. So if we look at the polling, then what do Labor strategists want to see? Now they're probably not going to uh, go on to election day. Uh, ahead in the polls, uh, they might even be coming from a, a, a ways back. What 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 are the sort of trends that they want to see in this polling to suggest that this is salvageable? Well, they want to see Labor decent swing in uh, Queensland. Now, in their favour there is that they underperformed in 2010, so there's a lot of ground to make up. And even if they put in a fairly ordinary performance, they'll still pick up a handy swing of, of uh, 2 or 3%. And if they can actually edge the coalition in Queensland, get get a majority of votes there, then that's going to put them in quite a strong position to pick up a number of seats up there. So it's the fact that they did so poorly in 2010 that that does give them some potential to pick up seats. They've got to obviously hold the line in in New South Wales and keep their losses there uh, as small as possible. So they don't want to see too big a swing in New South Wales. Um, uh, Victoria, they want to ditto. They want to they basically hold the line in Victoria. That's going to be quite hard because they, they overperformed in Victoria in 2010. So they've got the opposite problem to Queensland. Um, they, uh, they really do need to maintain a strong effort in Victoria if they're even just to hang on to their seats. So that's, uh, that's going to be a worry. Um, and then there's sort of everywhere else. So um, I think we're, we're all expecting them to lose a couple of seats in Tasmania. Um, the question becomes how big a, there's been a lot of talk of a swing to Labor in WA. The question is going to be, is it big enough to give them a seat like Hasluck, uh, which is very, very marginal. And, um, well, we don't really know what's happening in South Australia. It's, it's, it's the, the sample size we've got for the polling are too small to really make a meaningful, um, give us some, you know, a, a meaningful steer on what way it's going to go. Um, news poll thinks it's going to, um, swing against Labor and, uh, essential, has a, a pretty big swing to Labor, uh, which I do got to say again, that's a number that uh, this is an essential number that I found a little bit hard to believe because uh, uh, Labor did perform very well in South Australia in 2010, just like Victoria. So the idea of them actually building on uh, the, the swing they got in 2010 in South Australia, I think, is a little bit uh, uh, is a little bit unlikely. So South Australia might be might be even Stephen. So it comes back to what we've been talking about for a long time, which is. Uh, picking up enough seats in Queensland to offset the losses everywhere else, and um, uh, at the moment, uh, that's that's looking like a bit of a struggle uh, for Labor. But there's, you know, there's still a while to go yet. Well, let me let me give you one example, and and this is perhaps one of the most startling polls that I saw through the week, and that was a little poll that they did in Ford, uh, showing that Peter Beattie, a, a man who I believe maintains quite a quite a degree of popularity in Queensland, showing him a very long way behind in that seat, which is uh, now looks unwinnable. In fact, uh, Peter Beattie was up north uh, this week outside of the seat campaigning for other people. Perhaps they've given up on it entirely. Now, Bernard, if Peter Beattie can't beat a no-name Liberal on a one-point-something percent margin in that seat, uh, that would suggest that Kevin Rudd has real problems in Queensland. Uh, no, I, I agree with that. I'm just n- not sure I'm the, the basis for it is correct. I mean, the, that was a robo-poll, I think, and I just, I'll be quite blunt, I just don't trust robo-polls. Um, uh, they are, uh, I think there's a lot of problems with the methodology and, uh, and, they, and they, they're additional, those problems are in addition to, um, to um, the problems of, uh, of phone polls. So 
uh, yeah, we'll see what we'll see what happens on election night. But I wouldn't, um, you know, th- these these single electorate robo polls, they've been sprouting in the media like mushrooms. Um, I wouldn't put too much store by them. The numbers to look at are uh, where we can get them, the state based breakdowns of large sample um, polling of the kind of news polls been doing, the kind of essentials been doing. Um, and then sort of work out what's happening at the state level from that, the idea that you can accurately pick a seat from a uh, 400 people in a robo poll is, uh, I think, a thesis yet to be tested, and uh, I guess we'll test it on, on September 7. We will. So the states then, are, as you say, that's where we really need to be looking in terms of the swings. You had a look at Essential this week, which uh, doesn't always mirror... Um, the national polls, but but it certainly does a good job of getting big enough sample sizes to look reasonably comprehensively at the states. What it basically said is that Labor does have a chance. Yeah, if they even if they're on fifty one forty nine and the on the national if the if they're forty nine in the national vote, they can still they can still eke out a very narrow win or a hung parliament. Um, but you know, again, you, it comes back to working out the extent to which statewide swings are going to translate into. Uh, into into actual losses. I mean, take South Australia, for example. Uh, according to the essential results, Christopher Pine would struggle to hold onto his seat in South Australia, which has always been marginal. Sturt's always been uh, marginal, but Christopher Pine's already held, always held onto it. He's proven to be a pretty resilient campaigner. So, uh, you know, despite that notionally being in the Labor column, according to the essential data, I would, I would, you know, I'd sort of, I'd assume that Christopher Pine's going to hang on to it. So you've got to kind of run the ruler over the results and just do a reality check on them. Ditto in Western Australia, I mean, a very small sample size in Western Australia, about 300, 400 people, um, giving a very big swing to Labor there. Now, Labor did absolute, Labor's worst state was WA in 2010. They did absolutely wretchedly. Even if they put in a, you know, a, a, an, a, a 50-50 effort in WA, they're going to pick up a lot of votes and they may well pick up Hasluck. Um, the question is whether that's actually going to happen. Uh, but at the moment, the, the the small sort of amount of data we got suggests that there is a, uh, a decent swing in WA since Kevin Rudd returned. So um, we'll see how that one plays out. But WA is always tough because it is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a it it looms large, I guess, in our in our in our political thinking. And yet we get the population is quite small and it's hard to get good sample sizes. So it's very hard to kind of work out um, what's going to happen. And of course, there there's a very interesting race involving the Greens uh, as well, which will have implications for uh, for who controls the Senate. Mm. Let's uh, look at the performance of the leaders, uh, two and a half, almost three weeks in. Um, I imagine there would be Labor people looking at Kevin Rudd and and basically saying, you you promised more than this and, and we should be further ahead. Is Is that... Or, or ahead at all, in fact, is 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 that fair? Has he has he not delivered the the promise of the polling bounce? No, I think he has delivered that promise. I mean, I think he's uh, uh, he, he has got Labor up into a competitive position, and uh, uh, you know, it, it, so there have been a couple of polls that suggest that the gap is widening, um, uh, but other polling suggests the gap is is the same or narrow. So. Um, and it, this goes back to the kind of the context in which Kevin Rudd returned to the leadership. Um, I think we've now got a kind of narrative in the media that Kevin Rudd was, you know, supposed to come back and lead Labor to victory. And I don't recall any 
MP, Labor MP, uh, certainly none of Rudd's lieutenants, saying to me, well, you know, Rudd's going to come back and beat Abbott. The, the, the thinking was always Gillard is going to lead us to an absolute disaster, you know, a Queensland-style disaster, and we need to do something to, to stay as a viable political party. And, um, and that's what Kevin Rudd's doing. He's, uh, he's making sure that if they do lose, well, at the moment, it doesn't look like they're going to lose by very much if they do lose. So, and they won't, uh, they won't necessarily lose control of, or Tony Abbott may not gain control of the Senate. So that's a pretty good outcome from where the party was um, on the 24th of June when Julia Gillard was still Prime Minister and Labor's vote was at 33, 34%. And the Liberals were on 47, 48%. The Liberals are now on 43, 44%. And, um, and Labor's on 39%. So, you know, that's a, that's a pretty decent shift. And, you know, I've, I don't see any evidence of a sugar hit, which is the, 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 the preferred phrase of the right-wing sort of media yes. uh, when Kevin Rudd came back. Um, at the moment, I see a boost to Labor's vote, and it's not showing signs of, of shifting. Um, but, you know, this, this is all polling, and polling, of course, ain't the real thing, and uh, we, we've got to wait until September 7 to kind of go over exactly, um, you know, exactly who was right and, and who was wrong in terms of, um, in terms of the accuracy of polling. Mm. So, so the sort of man that we've got at the ca- on the campaign now is, is I guess, what we all expected. Uh, he's a bit annoying, frankly, but he's solid and he's pretty effective and he uh, can beat Abbott in any debate, it would seem. He's just better at it. Um, and he's doing a reasonable job, Bernard, at uh, chipping away at Abbott in terms of the costings and, and, and seems to be on the safest ground there, seems to be making some ground on particularly around paid parental leave. Um, is, he, is he going all right? Um, look, on the paid parental leave scheme, what I think, I think he's benefited from the fact that this is a policy that even, even the right-wing media uh, dislike. Um, and there's been a lot of scrutiny of the policy. There hasn't been the usual cheerleading for it that uh, you know, the News Limited, news, sorry, News Corporation tabloids usually provide. There's been a lot more scrutiny. There's been a lot more complaints about how it doesn't add up. And, you know, here we are on Thursday and there's still questions and, and discussion about whether whether the policy adds up. Now, I'm sure the Liberals didn't plan that three plus days after their announcement of the paid parental leave scheme, they'd still be talking about whether it adds up. Um, so I think from that point of view, Tony Abbott's sort of so far, it's only Thursday, but had a had a pretty poor week because he's been on the defensive, having to explain to Colin Barnett that no, no, he didn't expect the states to chip in uh, hundreds of millions of dollars to the scheme, having to admit that yes, uh, retirees would be dudded by uh, by the change in um, uh, 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 the treatment of um, of uh, corporate tax and the impact on um, on franking. Uh, so, you know, it's, it, this week just hasn't played out in the way that um, that I think Abbott would have hoped in terms of of a launch of of a big scheme, big big spending scheme on Sunday, uh, and then sort of going on the attack. During the week, well, he's been on the defensive most of the week, so it hasn't really panned out uh, in the way that he thought. And then, of course, last night's debate, um, I, I don't think really helped him, either in terms of the specific issue of costing or of, or in um, uh, or in you know reinforcing his uh, his key messages. So it's uh, from that point of view, it's been a. I think Tony Abbott's probably done very well out of the the first two weeks, but this third week is so far as. Um, uh, he's not doing so well. Kevin Rudd's kind of been going around the country a bit randomly. And I'm not really sure that I can see a coherent strategy from Rudd. 
Um, but this week they just have been hammering away at the costings, and that's you know that's probably what they should have been doing a while back to um, to undermine Tony Abbott's credibility. And and so if this is the Labor attack for the next two weeks, and and this is uh, you know the chink in the armor for Tony Abbott, and he certainly was caught on the hop. I felt last night in the debate, it was certainly the really the only thing that Ra was able to nail him on. Why on earth? Wouldn't the coalition give us the document that they gave the parliamentary budget office in terms of the costings on this scheme? Why on earth wouldn't it do that? Well, I think because there's the big. Well, we, I think we've we've learnt the reasons why. That, that is that the the corporate uh, or the, the the levy that's going to fund it doesn't provide uh, enough money for it by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, the, I saw one costing that suggested the the levy was only going to provide about half. Well, sorry, less than half of the. Um, of the cost of the scheme. And Abbott admitted uh, that last night. Yep. So uh, we've got this sort of two plus, well over $2 billion a year uh, that, that's currently uh, unfunded. There's there's a, there's a this whole issue of, of what role the coalition expects the states to play, um, which kind of just appears to have been fobbed, you know, sort of glossed over now, um, that the coalition sort of backed away from, from suggesting that they were going to get any help from, uh, from the state governments. Um, and of course, there's the there's the franking, uh, uh, the 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 franked and unfranked dividends issue. So um, I, we, we've seen the reason why they didn't want to produce that document. That's because it it just generates more questions. It generates the question of well, you know, why are you why are you dudding um, uh, shareholders? Um, you know, why what's why have you only got a half funded scheme? Um, what did you expect? What do you expect the state governments to do? Why should state governments be contributing to your scheme? So. You know, the, the the document itself just would have would have engendered more questions. Unfortunately, those questions have come out anyway. So, uh, in retrospect, perhaps Joe Hockey might have um, might have put those documents out there and said, "Here's the full costing. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's how it all adds up," rather than uh, leaving us with blithe assurances in a in a fairly short press release on Sunday announcing the scheme that the whole thing was fully funded. The whole thing is not fully funded, and um, uh, and you know, the more we know about the details. The more problematic uh, it looks, and if if by some remote chance, you know, I really don't think Labor's got a strong chance of winning this. I, you know, I, I put it, um, you know, fairly low, below one in three, one in four. But if nonetheless, if by some uh, long shot Labor wins, then the you know the lot of Liberals are entitled to ask Tony Abbott why on earth he he a persisted with this scheme in the face of such strong opposition from his own party. And B didn't get the proper get, didn't get the thing properly um, properly costed and properly funded because uh, uh, you know he's now spent an awful lot of time defending a scheme that uh, really is should be about should be about you know should be a positive for him. I mean I, I I can't recall a politician well maybe Mark Latham in 2004 with Medicare Gold, but a politician you know forced on the defensive for a policy that is basically sort of handing money out to people. It's uh, it's uh, you know it's quite interesting. Well, it's, particularly given the, the, the target market, if you like, um, this, this was clearly a policy aimed at a weak part of the demographic in terms of support for Abbott, and that is women. And, and what we've shown with essential polling and, and, and other polls is that women are cynical about it and actually prefer Labor's scheme. And that's, that's a fairly remarkable, uh, a remarkable point, given how much more generous it is. Well, and it was, and they favoured it even during, even when Julia Gillard was PM. And Julia Gillard was this sort of kiss of death to any sort of policy. Julia Gillard's policy, then people tended not to like it as much. Uh, but even back then, they preferred um, 
uh, they preferred Labor's scheme. And Tony Abbott's also been. I mean, Tony Abbott's logic seems seems skewed on this. I mean, he he he's, he makes the point that, well, um, you know, we it's okay to to have this sort of generosity to to high income earners uh, because. Um, you know, it's it, we, we we don't expect. I can't. I'm, I'm trying to remember his exact words, but but in effect, he's saying, you know, if you if you go on holiday, you know, you don't get minimum wage while you're on holiday. If you go on holiday, you get uh, your full salary. If you if you if you get sick, you get your full salary. That's that's how we do things. The problem is, of course, that this isn't about what you get from your employer. This is a taxpayer-funded scheme. This is a scheme that is a a transfer from taxpayers to recipients and of course we do means test uh, welfare we do means test transfer payments we means test the age pension we means test uh, family um, tax benefit payments we means test pretty much everything uh, when we give money from taxpayers to recipients and um, you know there's there's, the, there's there's no reason why we shouldn't be applying a, a, a similar test with this and of course we already are because Tony Abbott's saying well we're going to cap it at $150,000 well you know, it's his approach of well, you know, if you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't take a pay cut when you go on holiday. Well, on that basis, then people earning a quarter of a million dollars a year should be um, should be getting one hundred twenty five thousand dollars a year for for paid parental leave rather than rather than it being capped. So, it's uh, you know, Tony Abbott's logic itself is um, uh, a bit flawed here, as well as the whole uh, as well as the whole approach to costings. Mm. Let's put that issue aside and and let me throw one more at you on Tony Abbott. Uh, We've been saying now for a couple of years, even conservatives, in fact, have been saying that Tony Abbott isn't ready, that he was too negative. uh, He didn't have a a decent positive plan uh, for the country, that he wasn't prime ministerial, whatever that means, Bernard. He wasn't prime ministerial. Uh, Have we seen a prime minister yet in Tony Abbott? Oh look, he's well. I think my my, my answer to that's no, um, but he's certainly matured a lot. Um, he's, he's matured a lot of, uh, over the longer term. He's very different to the Tony Abbott of the 1990s, and uh, you, you can see in his politicking uh, you know, a pragmatism that that is you know becoming of a leader. I mean, leaders need to be pragmatic on a lot of issues. They can't they can't you know if, when you become prime minister you can't pursue your own ideological fetishes and those that do uh, come a cropper. I mean, John Howard was a very successful prime minister until uh, he ended up indulging his uh, his long-term uh, loathing of trade unions via work choices. And that was a key factor in, uh, in undoing him. So I think Tony Abbott's realised, it worked out that as a leader, you need to govern from the centre, you need to be pragmatic. And um, uh, you, you can't just pursue your own obsessions. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to try and govern for as many people as possible. And I think that's that's an important realization on his part uh, that's helped him mature into the role. And the paid parental leave is a, is a classic example of that. I mean, this is a policy that he, you know, was dead against um, ten years ago, and has now uh, says he's changed his mind on it. And that's that's entirely appropriate. I mean, people are allowed to change their minds on. On big policies, Tony Abbott, of course, changes his mind on all sorts of issues, on with a with a frequency that can be quite disturbing. But I think on this issue, you know, we've seen him mature from a from a you know a fairly juvenile kind of right wing attack figure to a uh, you know to a much more statesman like figure. Does he still you know does he does that mean he's got the gravitas to be prime minister? Well, uh, I'm not sure. I, I think he's um, you know like a lot of 
well, like every prime minister, he's got to he's got to find he'll have to find his way into the job if he's uh, if he's able to uh, if he's able to win on September seven. All prime ministers are kind of uh, in the early days are kind of work in progress. Julia Gillard, I think, was never never stopped being a work in progress. Um, uh, but um, but so so it's so it's it's a bit hard to kind of uh, yeah, say that yes, uh, Tony Abbott you know, is is prime ministerial now. You know, it's it's rare that people look prime ministerial before they become prime ministers. John Howard didn't look overly prime ministerial before he became prime minister, and his first term was was abysmal. Um, but he matured into into a very successful leader. And you know, I suspect Tony Abbott might go through the same sort of process himself if uh, if he's able to win, and he might he too might mature into a into a very successful pragmatic leader. And if not, he has two and a half weeks to, to get himself there. We will be watching every day Bernard Keane in uh, Crikey every day, crikey.com.au, for the latest election news and information. Bernard, thank you. My pleasure. We will talk again next week. This has been Crikey Calling. Catch you next time.